Oh, here we are again. Anthony Smith, lead economist at Freightways. Zach Strickland here, director of Freight Market Intelligence. This is Freightonomics, the podcast slash show where we combine freight market intelligence with the macroeconomic environment, bring them together, connect the world uh, into one big, happy, hour-long package. Anthony Smith, we've got a pretty good show today. We've got Greg Miller joining us a little later to talk about what's going on on the ocean. Uh, and the maritime sector itself has been <laughs> obviously in the news a lot. And if you are FreightWaves.com or American Shipper uh, reader regularly, you'll know that there is a lot to talk about there. We're going to talk about how long this whole situation or we're seeing ex you know, just no capacity whatsoever uh, on the water, container shortages, mass hysteria, et cetera, are existing. And Greg Miller also has an article up that we'll talk about. So, uh, but first off, first things first, Anthony Smith. Right. We have someone to thank. We got a sponsor. <laughs> thank you to Envision Global. So yeah. we have a sponsor here and today, uh, this month, and I think maybe even next month, we have Envision Global to thank. Yeah. Envision Global is a leading global freight audit supply chain management services company offering enterprise-wide supply chain solutions with over 4,000 global business partners. Envision Global not only provides prompt, accurate freight audit solutions, but also providing industry-leading supply chain information management solutions and services necessary to help its clients maximize efficiencies within their supply chain. To learn more, visit www.envisionglobal.com. And thank you, Brooklyn School Systems, for teaching me how to read. <laughs> I mean, way to go. <laughs> the education system didn't fail you there. Oh, Envision with lowercase n to start. Yeah, but for sure, thank you to Envision Global. And I think we'll even have someone on the show sometime yes, soon. We will. So really appreciative for Envision Global. And if you haven't checked them out, be sure to go to that website. Give it a give it a look over and yeah. Extremely uh, relevant for the days, uh, especially what we're gonna talk about today. Very fitting. Uh, auditing that global supply chain and all those freight audit solutions. So I mean it's the paperwork involved <laughs> in shipping something from across the ocean to here is I, I can't even begin to tell you what that's about, Anthony. I don't want to know. <laughs> I don't want to know. And I, I guess that's probably also why there's such a market for it. It's like, yeah. you sure you want to do this? Also, I forgot <laughs> to mention, if you are watching, for some reason, if you're not on TV, TV.fairways.com, you're not watching on our TV app, and you're on LinkedIn for any reason, um, you can chime in on these comments because yep. I am watching, I am monitoring. So if you want to contribute to the conversation, ask a question, have a question for myself, Zach, or our headline guests that we're going to have on a little bit later. Be sure to chime in. We'll give you a little shout out on these like LinkedIn comments. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, you know, we've had, I, I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and branch off for a second here before we get into our memes. Uh, the, the freight market itself, Anthony, has been a, a bit of a uh, interesting thing over the last couple of weeks. Yeah. We've talked about it on Freightways Now, where we're seeing our tender rejection rates fall down and spot market rates remain, they're actually still elevated. There's a few things going on here that we're watching, and this is really pertinent to what we're going to talk about later. So a lot of what we track here at Freightways and the sonar data is uh, contracted movements. So contracted tenders, electronic tenders that ship, you know, shippers send over an, a request to a carrier and the carrier says, yes or no, I'm going to take it. <laughs> and they've been taking more 
than they have in the past. And we discovered a little bit of a nuance here where since we are evaluating the contracted freight market in bulk, most of it, it is tracking the freight mix itself, changing and shifting. And we're seeing the short haul freight mm-hmm. being tendered more often than the long haul freight, or not in total, but the trend basically is changing. So the mix is changing. We're seeing an increase in short haul freight while long haul freight volumes decline a little bit. This is typical this time of year, but upcoming, we've got all this maritime import stuff, which is long haul freight in general. The rails are maxed out. Capacity is insane here in a, starting in September. So we're not out of the woods yet, but I thought it was interesting to see, you know, the change in the shift of the freight mix dynamics having an impact to that uh, rejection rate falling down here over the last little bit. So it's, you know, if you are a broker and you're in the spot market, you only handle a long haul freight. Yeah. You know, if you were watching on the spot with JP and, uh, and Kevin Hill yesterday, and they talked about this a little bit. I talked about it in my chart of the week uh, this week, but I get more questions about that <laughs> than just about anything over the last bit. So I thought it would be a good thing to do to kind of go ahead and knock that one out uh, right at the top of the show. Definitely. And I, I love like even uh, the, the overall macro landscape of it, the idea of, of course, long haul not being as attractive than those shorter routes. People want to be ha- back at home. Yep. Not really an area that people are like really kind of, you know, rushing towards to do. And really the, the movements at a macro level again in the industry for autonomous driving and that trend there and, and not looking to replace people, but assist and be a tool for right. drivers that really don't want to be on these routes in the first place. So hardest part to recruit that yeah. long haul driver. <laughs> yep. So definitely interesting to see this, this shift mm-hmm. and definitely one of the other big things that we've seen in sonar, those volumes, they yeah. haven't come down at all. Demand staying high and rejection rates are falling. So yeah, uh, yeah it's a crazy thing to, to watch. Um, but I do believe we're going to go ahead and have our guest, Greg Miller on. We're going to get things started right away, I think, because he's ready to go. And I want to go ahead and dive into this maritime sector because it has been in cra- crazy uh, rough waters. Yeah, I see what you did there. Unintended. It was a little over the top dad joke. but Greg is going to hang up now. He didn't like that. <laughs> he didn't like it. <laughs> uh, but, you know, Greg has an article out on Freightways.com that's live today uh, that I think we're going to want to talk about as well. But let's bring on Greg Miller and uh See how he's going, how he's doing, man. Hey, Greg, thanks for joining today. Hey, I appreciate being here. Thank you. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I kind of want to kick things off, uh, you know, and, and lead, uh, lead in with your, your most recent article, because we talked about, I think everybody here's talked about the maritime sector rates and all that stuff. And I want to get into that here in a little bit, but you wrote this article that I found fascinating. And I think it's really pertinent, <laughs> Uh, especially when you're talking about people starting to get involved with government relations and trying to regulate away some of this, you know, uh, chaos. And I think you had a really good interview uh, with this guy. And I want you to kind of give us an overview or a high-level summary of what you wrote here. Sure. Well, I spoke to Lars Jensen, uh, who is a very, very well-known expert on the container industry, And we just talked through the sort of what ifs of uh, what if the U.S. government went forward and and did some of these things that that shippers are proposing because American shippers are rightfully upset that the price price for imports is very high. Uh, American exporters are very upset that they can't get the containers to export their cargoes. So they look to the U.S. government and say, you know, help us. What can we do? 
Um, and unlike uh, other parts of shipping, like tankers and bulkers, there is some regulation of container shipping. So they're looking for solutions, uh, some way that the U.S. government can intervene and 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 help them. Um, but you know, really, what the article is about is uh, you know there is some regulation, but at the heart of it, this is a market. Uh, and uh, you know, I'm upset about my rent in New York, uh, <laughs> it just keeps going up and it's not fair. Uh, it's not worth it. My, my apartment's definitely not worth it, but that's life. Um, and, uh, the rate is going to go up. The rate is the rate. Uh, uh, these are, uh, these are not, you know, these are foreign companies. Um, and a lot of these are public companies that have a duty to make as much money as possible. And the fact of the matter is, is that uh, d- the current demand driven by the U.S. is exceeding the effective supply. Uh, there's only so many containers out there in the world. Uh, there's only so many ships out there in the world. And the reality is, is the price is going to just keep going up. And uh, a number of things have been discussed as to stop this. And there's just no, there's a lot of unintended consequences uh, if they go, if the government goes forward in various directions. And that's what the article is about. Yeah, it's a fascinating read. I actually one of the, one of the talking points that I found in there that was really interesting is the fact that you, you know, yeah, you can you can kind of plug the hole uh, with one finger uh, in terms of runaway rates, but it's a uh, you know you're, you're going to have unintended consequences. I think that's kind of the the theme at the end. There is like it's going to spill into other things. So say you cap the rates into the United States, but they're just going to go to where they aren't capped. You know, they're going to supply capacity. Exactly. So that's, exactly. <laughs> and what are you? What are your thoughts here on? Uh, I, I think we're creating a little bit of a divergence in the shipping community because you have certain um, certain goods, certain freight that can handle these high uh, costs, and then there's certain freight that really can't handle this high percentage increase uh, in shipping rates. Are you? Do you think that some of that may eventually erode demand in a way? Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, but w- really what's happening is uh, never before have we seen uh, the rates uh, so divergent between uh, the, the the spot market and the, the long-term contracts for the very, very big importers, uh, you know, the Walmarts. So that used to be in the hundreds of dollars per FEU, and now we're talking about over $10,000 per FEU. So there, there's a huge divergence there. And one of the other things that was brought up in that article was that uh, there's a huge divergence in interest between the shippers. So, for example, if you are a very large importer, you might not want to be complaining too loudly to Washington to solve this uh, because you can eat that. I mean, your your price is going to go up, uh, but nowhere near uh, the, the, the price increase for the very small importer competitor of yours that's stuck in the spot market. So this could be an opportunity for you to bring things in, keep your retail costs low, and and take everybody else out of the market. And a couple of years from now, when the market normalizes, uh, you know you'll be dealing with less competition. Also, if you think about a forty foot container, if you were to fill that with uh, very high margin, for example, designer shirts for for women, uh, that uh, you could fill uh, this container with many many of these shirts, and you could make a huge amount. On each one of these, with this huge markup on some designer shirt, um, you can afford to pay twenty thousand per FU, even if you're in the spot market. But now, if you're sort of a, in a, a kind of 
not that high quality sofa. You can fit 12 sofas in there and you have a, 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 a low margin, then uh, you're not going to be able to import these goods. Um, so you just won't be able to import them. It won't even be a matter of, you won't be able to mark them up enough to import them. So it's going to change to the extent that this continues. It's going to change the way that people think about their business and it's going to change the models going forward. Talking about change in models, also have to have a great call out that Greg had. I mean, business is business. I mean, <laughs> I would love to pay lower rent, but it is what it is. And so we're not really kind of talk about like what's fair and what's not fair, but talking about the change in models, Greg, really interested on your thoughts around peak season, looking at whether it's still on schedule or do you think the dynamics have changed at all? And now we're going to see some kind of alterations here moving forward. Yeah, I mean, that's a big, interesting question. What is peak season? Uh, because, I mean, we're, we're on one hand, you have to talk about seasonality, but on the, on the other hand, all of the models are thrown out the window since last year, and it seems kind of strange to talk about peak season. I mean, people have uh, clearly been importing uh, you know, Christmas goods as quickly as they can. People are importing anything they can as quickly as they can. You know, I was just uh, speaking with Gene Soroka at the Port of LA, and I had to you know, ask is are we in peak season? Because you know, I don't, you know, are we? Uh, and I guess the answer is yes. But if you look at what's going on uh, uh, with the anchorages in the port of LA, it's pretty obvious we're in uh, we're in peak season. Um, I, I looked at the numbers going back. I get these numbers from the Marine Exchange of Southern California, and they have the number of ships in anchor out at berths in Los Angeles and Long Beach or at anchor. Now, normally, I went back to 2019, normally you have about 15 ships in the complex, and they're on the berths. You never have an anchor. You maybe have one. So 15, right? So uh, at the beginning of this year, when we had that big problem, there were 60, or four times that, 60. So it was 30 ships at anchor, about 30 ships at the various berths. So then uh, what happens when it gets that high is that the system reaches its limit, and the, the carrier's it goes down again because the carriers have to blank or cancel sailings, not because there's not demand, but because all their ships are stuck in San Pedro Bay, so they can't go back to Asia. So they have no choice but to say, uh, sorry, that's canceled. And over time, that brings down the number of ships coming in, and the anchor, so it comes back down. And then we had Yan, the port of Yantan problem in June, and that actually was great for the port of LA Long Beach because that held all that cargo back, and they had this reprieve. So... By, like, say, June 18th, 19th, it went down from 60 down to 30. So you had 10 at anchor, 20 at berths. And so you're getting very close to turning the corner and things were finally going to be good again. You're only twice what it was normal. And then, lo and behold, the Yantian cargo came and peak season came. Uh, and as of yesterday, we're uh, at 60. Uh, again, we're at 30, 31 at anchor, 30. And this is August. So... Uh, there are more services that are being put on this peak season. There are carriers that are, there are new entrants that are going out there and chartering ships and, and starting new services to the West Coast. There are extra loaders, which are extra ships that are going to be added. So what's probably going to happen is that we're, we're going to go up past 30. We're going to go towards the record of 40. And we're going to again get to the point where it gets so clogged that they're going to have to cancel uh, the sailings. And we'll just hit that limit because there's no way to push the cargo through the warehouses in time. You just can't do it. They don't have the warehouse capacity to be able to turn that around. And so that's where the logjam is. The same problem with the rail. 
you, you can't do anything about this court situation. It's used to handling 15, not 60. So uh, a long way until we get back. Yeah, I don't, I don't think you can increase, you can just overnight throw up uh, additional areas for ships to get unloaded uh, in the ports of Los Angeles, Long Beach. So you mentioned, yeah, yeah you mentioned the, uh, the congestion there at Los Angeles, Long Beach. So we never actually cleared that, uh, right? Like it was getting better. It got, it, 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 close. it got close <laughs> at the end of June because of Yantian. It was about twice as bad as normal. That's as good as we got. Uh, and then, uh, then, it, then it all fell apart. So uh, we're back to where we were. When remember when we saw those Coast Guard videos of the ships? Yep. It's just as bad right now as it was then. And and this is the beginning of the peak season. Yeah, I, yeah. And I guess I guess the question was what's about to happen to peak season, and it's it's all relative, right? I mean, we're we've basically yeah. broken uh, the system, you know, especially historically speaking. Uh, you know, could it get a lot worse? Probably not. <laughs> it doesn't sound like from the your response because essentially it's you know we talked about this in in trucking, where we almost have this throughput barrier where we can't see any more demand uh, because we just don't have the infrastructure to contain it. So yeah. uh, I, I think uh, you know the interesting aspect of what to look for in this peak season is just what are the what is going to happen downstream and upstream because of all of this bottlenecking. Uh, in the maritime side, do are shippers going to start not placing orders? Um, you know, in the future, do you think that that's a possibility? Like, I mean, we're already talking about it in terms of, you know, it's too expensive for some of these smaller shippers or these, you know, yeah. other commodity shippers to not ship freight anymore. Are we going to see some downstream effect to where demand is actually impacted by all of this? Well, I think at this point, everyone is importing, you know, I've talked to people that, you know, they're, 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 they're importing whatever they can import right now. We're, they're, they're in the mode of, we will take whatever we can get on the ship. Uh, and so there's no way to know whether are we pulling forward demand. Um, and I think probably the answer to that is no, because if you look at all those inventory to sales ratios, uh, they're still, after all this time, uh those inventory to sales ratios, by the way, are incredible. Uh, the, you have the latest numbers that came out on the retail trade, excluding motor vehicle. Uh, the inventories are actually up 3.4% in the country versus two years ago at this time, May. But the uh, the, the uh, inventory to sales ratio of months to, re- to sales is down 12%. So what that means is after all of these imports, um, you know, the sales themselves are still outpacing or are keeping pace with what's coming in. And we've never been able to build back the inventory to sales ratio that we lost during the lockdowns over a year ago. So the question is, and, and this is completely hypothetical, uh, after we, uh, you know, get all of our Christmas gifts and, and what have you, do the retailers actually you know, then go back and add all those inventories afterwards? Uh, or do they actually get the inventory to sales ratio higher because this scared them so much this time? So who knows? It could go on, you know, through the next year. So Greg, one of the things I, I'm really curious about is the impact of the COVID rates in China right now and how that might be messing around or messing up the overall industry right now. Looking at China, of course, one of the major players and the world supply of Anything that are that's goods and freight demand, of course, are on that maritime side. But what are you seeing on your end potentially that's really kind of causing any kind of impact, or is there any impact right now? 
Yeah, I mean, there's two previous examples to look at. You know, first, you look at February of 2020 and the initial Wuhan lockdown. And this is before anybody really knew anything about how to handle this. And China basically just shut everything down. I mean, completely shut down. So it was like Chinese New Year was extended uh, by a month and everything was shut down. So nothing came over to the U.S. And that caused this huge gap in the imports to the U.S., which, of course, was followed by the ketchup effect. And unfortunately, the ketchup effect arrived just as we shut down. So that created this further mess. Uh, but the second example uh, was more recently, which was in um, uh, the port of Yantian and the, uh, the province around the river there. And the, those terminals uh, were completely shut down, but significantly shut down. And that area actually handles 25% of Chinese exports to the United States. And, uh, you know, you look at the number of cases we have here in various states, and we're still going out to, out to the bars. Uh, but uh, in China... Uh, it, you know, it depends on where you are. In China, uh, you know, they had a couple dozen cases, I think, uh, in around Yantian, and they shut down a quarter of the imports to the United States uh, for a month, uh, pretty much. So now the question is this: that was that was a very limited outbreak in one province, and I haven't checked the news today, but the last I checked, it was in 17 or 18 provinces of 22. So the Delta variant has spread much, much further. And so the question becomes, what does China do now? Does it behave like it did with Yantian and just say, okay, we're going to shut everything down? Uh, or does it say, ah, it's, we're going to do something different this time and we're going to keep our economy going? But, uh, you, know, uh, you know, I was speaking with that consultant, Lars Jensen, about this, and that didn't make it into the interview. But, you know, one of his points was that if we saw something in China, like we saw in the first quarter of 2020, if this was so bad with Delta that they shut it down and for, you know, whatever, a month, that would actually be great for the port of Los Angeles, Long Beach, because it could clear through everywhere in the world, could clear through all of their law gyms and we could finally get back to normalcy and we could reset. Uh, the, the problem there would be that the expense would be uh, we would have no imports. for It would be disastrous <laughs> for us. Uh, so there would be a big price to pay. There'll be a lot of empty shelves. Um, but then, it, you know, so that's really what everyone's looking at right now in China. What? Because no one knows. I mean, what are they going to do? Uh, it's a huge story if they go forward like they did in the past. Yeah, that's <laughs> that, that one's fascinating, because like you said, if they did stop, it would it would at least solve some bottleneck issue. But then, I mean, once they restarted, wouldn't we see the same kind of, you know, bubble kind of flow into exactly. the United States. The same so I, thing would happen again. Yeah, because nobody's saying you, you would hope you would hope Yeah, but you would hope you could use that that time to uh, just like they did in Los Angeles Long Beach in June when Yantian happened, that was what was known as a, that was a breather for them and and they used that to work it down. But I agree with you, the real problem is this demand, the US yeah. demand. Uh, we ha we have to stop buying things or this is never going to end. <laughs> Uh, I mean, we could stop the we could solve the inventory to sales ratio uh, by by you know with some sort of economic collapse, and we would just stop buying everything, and our ratios would be fantastic, and then uh, we could solve the congestion that way. But again, problem for us. Yeah, economic collapse. <laughs> I, think I think the key phrase right is advocating for an economic recession on yeah. such a magnitude that people <laughs> just stop buying. 
might be the great reset that we all need. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I enjoy getting money and getting paid for my job, Greg. So I don't know. <laughs> I know. I know. Yeah. Me too. I like my stuff. Um, so the COVID situation, obviously a big factor unknown. We don't have Christmas demand. It's still going to exist. And people are ordering stuff for that. But we still have, you know, what's happening is these uh, these carriers are starting to charge so much more uh, yeah. for doing this. And they're bidding it up. And it's, you know, and a lot of the commodities that these that can't afford this are the electronics uh, and, you know, some of these, you know, high value items that we do see around Christmas. So what what's the story with all these surcharges starting to pile up, Greg? We talked about, you talked about Freytos, the Baltic Exchange, they just revised their index higher, um, yep. you know, for the spot rates for moving 40 foot equi- equivalents. Where, where in all the mix do these surcharges start to kind of stop occurring and have that, like, how do they fit in the historical context? Have we seen surcharges before in this regard, or are, is this kind of like just a new way to add on to the to the cost of moving freight? Well, I mean, we've certainly seen peak season surcharges every year, which is what we're seeing now. Uh, but these premium surcharges, the no roll, the guaranteed loading, uh, those are those started. Uh, I started to hear about those at the end of last year, the beginning of this year, and then they again they they sort of eased a bit. Um, and then right after the ever given, they came back and they're getting worse and worse. But I mean, speaking of the indexes, you know, that's an interesting question. What is the rate? I mean, this is a problem in any part of shipping, I'm sure trucking. But, uh, you know, I just looked today, Freytos uh, has, uh, for yesterday, excuse me, West Coast 19,237, East Coast 20,804 per FEU. Uh, but if you look at S&P Global Platts, it's West Coast 7,900. East Coast, 8,900. And if you look at Drury, West Coast, 10,229. East Coast, 13,434. It's all over the place. Uh, and that's not just because each one of these indices has a different group of people that they survey. Uh, so you're obviously going to get different answers. Uh, but also, some, uh, most of them will not include the premium. They'll include the basic facts rate and then they won't include the premium because the premium really depends upon the customer. Do you need? Are, are you booking this in three days? Maybe you should be paying the premium. Or are you going to wait a couple months? Then you're, you're not going to pay the premium. But Freitos had a situation uh, uh, on the 28th of, they had a situation where their, their index is actually part of, it's covered in, by the Baltic Exchange and covered by uh, European regulation and I think is involved in at least some derivatives. And, uh, you know, the Baltic basically, uh, did an investigation and told Freytos that they need to change some things about the index. And so Freytos removed some outliers from the methodol- from the from the calculation that that was told to me the outliers were not including the premium in their rates. So but what they're saying now is they essentially overnight switched from a system that didn't reflect the premiums to one that does reflect the premium. So Unlike the under in other indices, Freytos is is actually reflecting uh, these premium surcharges, and a lot of shippers would say that's actually more accurate. Uh, the problem is is that the index changed overnight. So, uh-huh. you know, if I look at the Freytos index on in J- July, how can I compare that to now? It's double. Uh, it's apples and oranges. Um, so, but there is this question of what is the rate? It goes back to what I said before about the, you know, the contract people are paying, 
you know, in the low four digits per, per, per FEU because they're on a contract, they're big volumes. And some people are paying in spot 20,000, but some people aren't. There's no way to know. It's, you know, I wonder, you know, th- this is a problem for using, you know, and probably in other sectors as well, using ind- indices for, uh, you know, derivatives and index linked contracts. If all the indexes are all over the place, I mean, the, the more you have people that look at an index and say, that's not the rate I paid, you know, the right. harder it is to use these things and the harder and the less value I get. So, so what is the rate? I, I, I can get a different rate from looking at a different index every day. And, uh, and a different shipper will tell me a different rate every day. All you can tell is it's going to go up. And as, as to those peak season surcharges, they're about to hit, you know, thousands upon thousands per FEU in the next couple of days on top of all this. And so it's just going to keep going up and it'll go up until uh, the container lines can't fill the slots because people are like, I can't pay it. Otherwise, yeah, just like New York City Run, it'll go up until someone says, no, I will not pay that. Yeah, I, I think that's uh, solid points on all fronts there. That To me, the true value of an index is the direction of the index. Uh, you know, the absolute value is not as meaningful <laughs> as a direction. And I think... Unless you're actually in, have an index linked contract and yeah. it, it, you're paying it. You're right. Paying, then it's a problem. That's true. Really that's very true. Yeah, the uh, for me, never. As a right. journalist, <laughs> right? No, you're you're exactly right on that point. The uh, but I, I you know we were going to talk about the Freitos index. If we have that chart, I'd like to go ahead and pull it up while we're talking about it here, because uh, I have them. I had I have all the Freitos indexes. There we go. Freitos. Uh, this is our forty foot contract or forty foot spot market uh, rate for shipping at a, a forty foot equivalent from China to North America's east and west coasts. The east coast taller by a little bit, uh, but you see that big jump there. Uh, and that's the one that's that's crazy to me. And I think, Greg, and correct me if uh, I'm wrong here, but the surcharges and premiums uh, became so much of a factor, they had to introduce them because they were, uh, they were so volatile or they had such an impact to the direction of the market itself because the base rate, you know, the transportation cost itself wasn't fluctuating or wasn't as volatile uh, as the as the premiums, am I right here? Right. I mean, when the premiums become as large as the base rate, then you know uh, you got a problem. Uh, you know, but the you know the issue I have with the chart is that I mean, the rate didn't just increase. You know, the right. rate, you know the, the premiums were you know you, there was plenty of premiums before that. So, uh, but I agree. I mean, suddenly a lot of shippers will say that rate is much more reflective of what I pay than it was on July twenty seventh. Right. And of course, as you know, as time progresses, this will become, you know, less about what the historical context is, of course, uh, moving forward. But, you know, for the time being, yeah, it's hard to discern, like, where was the rate a few months ago, et cetera. Uh, exactly. How how new are these some of these surcharges? Are we just now seeing such a rapid expansion or have, like you said, they've kind of always been around, but I guess they haven't been as big of a factor as they are over the last several months. No, of course. I mean, nothing, nothing like this has ever happened before. So, uh, okay, you know, this is this is relatively new in terms of the uh, in terms of the surcharge. Yeah, basically, you know, on top of what you already pay in order to get loaded, you have to pay the extra. That's something that's that's relatively new. I mean, peak season surcharges happen every year. So, Greg, we know you are an incredibly busy man here at FreightWave. So I have one last question in closing. Sure. I'm always looking for what the underlying trend is that maybe people aren't watching just yet. Is there anything on your radar that you're seeing that might 
propel into something a little bit bigger that might be further down the line? Is there anything right now that you're seeing? You know what? People should be watching out for this. Well, I'll, I, I just I'll just go back to the China, which we talked about. That is the that's that's what needs to be watched uh, in the very near future because that's going to change the entire pattern uh, of what you know. If 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 China doesn't shut down uh, and U.S. demand remains as high as 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 it looks now, uh, it's just hard to you know fathom. Uh, what's going to happen in this peak season. Let me just close with a, a customer advisory that was sent out by Maersk yesterday, five o'clock yesterday. This was sent email to their customers. Critical help needed, congestion increasing. Due to delays in transit and storage challenges in North America, customers are retaining their equipment for longer than average. The longer each container is detained, the less equipment there is in origin. Terminal fluid is a challenge, and longer cargo sits at the terminal depot or railhead, the more difficult the situation will be to face. We do not anticipate the congestion decreasing anytime soon. On the contrary, the industry overall is forecasting higher volumes into early 2022 and beyond. We need your help to ensure the equipment and terminals continue to remain fluid. So they've just charged you, uh, you know, whatever, 10000 per FEU, and then you get the detention and demurrage, and then it's like, help us. So that's where we're at. Uh, good stuff, Greg Miller. Thank you so much for joining us here today. And uh, tell everyone where they can, I uh, obviously can find your articles on FreightWaves.com, American Shipper, uh, great stuff there. Yeah. But where can they reach Thank out you. to you if they, they want to? Sure. Uh, G Miller at FreightWaves.com. Deal, Greg. Well, thanks so much. And uh, have a good rest of your day, man. <laughs> Thank you very much. All right, man. I, I love talking to Greg yeah. <laughs> about all that stuff. Like it's fascinating uh, to me because we have, you know, for those of you that aren't as familiar with the maritime side, I didn't have a huge repository of knowledge about the maritime sector before coming into freight waves. I, I just didn't. And, and a lot of people, I think, in the trucking service transportation sector, rails probably more so than than trucking, but didn't really have the experience. Of the maritime. I, I was learning about freight forwarders and things minimally there yeah. at the, towards the end of my tenure in the space, but it wasn't like, I, I didn't know what it all meant and how it all fit together in the supply chain of everything. And, and I, if you are in freight and you are in surface transportation, whether you're a broker, carrier, obviously a lot of the shippers already deal with it in procurement side. It is such a crucial, crucial aspect of understanding what's going on upstream that's going to come downstream. And, yeah. and that connection isn't always a one-to-one, -one, you know, but there are, it, it is a very good leading indicator of what's happening uh, in the continental United States uh, transportation system. It is. And um, one of the things I've learned about maritime and that aspect, the layers of it, the, yeah. all the moving parts to it, it's just like, I, I'm blown away by just all the different aspects of freight forwarding, just like everything that goes into mm -hmm. that maritime segment. Um, Kind of similar to when we started going over LTL yep. mm -hmm. and all the intricacies involved in that. And it's not all as easy as it might seem on surface, but definitely a lot of moving pieces in it. Yeah. And Henry Byers, of course, uh, our market expert on that. And we have him on here uh, occasionally to talk about some of that stuff, too. But he like he's he's super uh, nervous about what's about to happen. You know, that Port of Yenshin stuff. Yeah, he is super nervous <laughs> yeah. about uh, the port of Los Angeles, Long Beach. But think about think about it in terms of the supply chain, like freight coming into the country. You know, what is it? Uh, what's the percentage? Almost all the durable goods that we move, or is mm. it 35% or something like that of the goods that 
uh, are moved in the United States, have an origin somewhere else. Yeah. Um, and think about the options that that freight has once it gets here. It's going to go to a warehouse. <laughs> it's going to get on the rails. It's going to get on a truck. Yeah. <laughs> Those are your three options. Or it's going to sit on the port like it has been. <laughs> <laughs> but at some point in time, those three things are going to happen. And if you are a service transportation provider, any kind of surges or fluctuations there have a huge impact. And one critical point, uh, you know, before we get into the newsonomics section what, that I think is, is really important is that some of these shippers are priced out of this market. Yeah. Like, if you are a carrier in the United States, your, your shipper in some sector may, you know, other than the log jam <laughs> that's stopping it from moving into the country, uh, they may start being priced out of this, this space a little bit. So, Zach, in, in your opinion, your experience here, when you're looking at potential shippers getting priced out of the market, it is what it is, fair, not fair, whatever, business is business, you don't have the capacity to kind of keep bringing on more and more product. When shippers get priced out, is this something that like, oh, I got to be very careful about this, uh, who I offer better rates to or contracts to, or is it just like, Whoever can pay at this point, I don't care if we've done business before in the past or if this is going to lead into something bigger, but it it's is, just it is what it is right now. It ends up where you like to talk about inflation. Yeah. <laughs> Eventually, the shippers raise their rates. Now, this is where he was talking about how the Walmarts and the, and the Targets and the huge importers have so much purchasing power and these existing contracts are in place. They're not really getting messed up. Uh, so they can, they can only inflate their prices to that point, so far beyond their points. So, you know, they're going to get weeded out. We're going to have less options yeah. <laughs> uh, eventually if it, if it persists too long. Or they could get absorbed, you know, which is a lot of them will form these buying units, the uh, buying groups, they call them. Uh, so they have a little bit more purchasing power. And enough small people together creates one large unit. Mm. And that's how they get around it that way. Gotcha, gotcha. But yeah, that's a great call out there, that inflation, that ever pesky inflation that's been around for the pretty much all of 2021, it seems like. Yeah. We've been kind of building momentum, but yeah, those shippers have to increase those prices. Final consumer is going to be paying for those, and it seems like they have been kind of immune to those price increases so far on so the far. consumer side. Well, in bulk. They're, yeah. they're, they're showing up still. Um, yeah. Let's break into the news of the day. <laughs> and some of this is, of course, going to be very relevant to what we just talked to Greg Miller about, but we wanted to make sure that we got him on and we're respective of his time, uh, so we put him on early when he was ready to go so he can go and find out what's going on in that maritime sector uh, some more. Um, so John Kingston wrote this article, Freightways Road Check Week, I mean, I'm sorry, Road Check Week results HOS violations a bigger share of all citations. Now, Road Check Week was back in the beginning of May. CVSCA just reported this uh, figure, and basically uh, the violations were actually down overall. But the percentage of violations that were HOS violations, hours of service, for you, for those of you not familiar with the acronym, there's an 11-hour clock on drive time in the United States for a driver, so they can only drive 11 hours <laughs> in a day, and then 14 hours of total work time in a 24-hour period, I should say. Uh, so that's the stuff that, you know, a lot of people were concerned about a few years ago. How much of the HOS, you know, clock is going to impact capacity? Yeah. And it obviously has an impact to capacity because you can't work, and good, rightfully so. This is a safety issue. If you start pushing drivers, you know, over a certain amount of time. Now, the uh, contrary argument here, you know, is 
that, well, maybe the drivers shouldn't be held to a certain clock because everybody is different. And, you know, obviously safety has its own consequences, <laughs> you know, that should self-correct. Mm. You know, drivers don't want to get in wrecks. Right. <laughs> um, but again, sometimes you have to protect us from ourselves. <laughs> We're not, we don't always make the best decisions uh, for the greater good too. So there, there's, you know, that's the back and forth argument of hours of service. But it is interesting to me in this time, less violations, but higher percentage of those people working more than they should or driving longer than they should. Yeah. And it seems like it's a symptom of what's going on right now. So, of course, you hear capacity crunch, not enough capacity, <laughs> not enough capacity. It's a symptom of there not being enough capacity, essentially. Not talking really specifically driver shortage here, but of course, the overwhelming amount of volume flowing through the country right now and keeps flowing in. So if that wasn't the, the infrastructure that we're dealing with right now, maybe there would be less of that symptom mm -hmm. kind of preva prevailing itself or showing itself here with those hours of service. Right, right, yeah. And a, a natural consequence <laughs> of capacity, you need capacity, but they don't have enough drivers. The drivers that exist, driving longer, Yeah, there it is. But, you know, you gotta be safe too. You can't drive tired. Don't drive tired, Anthony no. Smith. Get some sleep. So the, the next one here, on the same lines as what we were talking with Greg Miller about, uh, Eric Coolidge wrote this one. This is, are you shipping me 32,000 <laughs> container move from China to LA? Now this was a, a single instance. This wasn't like all rates now, you know, costing $32,000 to ship a 40 foot equivalent unit across the ocean. It was actually somebody uh, being interviewed saying, yes, this, was, this happened to me. I was quoted $32,000. Keep in mind, guys, the most of the freight was costing about $1,500 just 18 months ago <laughs> to ship a 40-foot equivalent on the spot market, mind you, the more volatile side. As Greg Miller pointed out, there's huge disconnect from the spot market and contract side on the maritime side, as there is in trucking as well. But uh, this is, you know, the fact is they are turning away freight with a price. Yeah. And I, I think this is some of those accessorial charges and things are their way of saying, okay, we don't want this freight. <laughs> it, we'll take this other freight because it's easier to handle, lower cost to serve, et cetera. And, and it's just a way for them to naturally kind of help streamline things in theory. <laughs> uh, but we used to do it all the time. Yeah. You know, you, there's certain freight out there from an LTL perspective, residential freight, very difficult, takes a lot more time to deliver. You've got to charge more for it. Because not only do you, does it take you longer to serve that, it takes you away from other business yeah. that you could be serving. So when capacity is so tight, you have to get to the more streamlined freight. And, you know, I think that's essentially what's happening here. $32,000 quote. But uh, along what we were talking with Greg about, uh, one of the lines in here, importers of low-value commodities such as wooden assembled furniture that built their business models around $1,400 shipping rates <laughs> have stopped placing orders because they are losing money under current market conditions, according to shipping analysts and practitioners. That right there resonates with me more than any other line in this whole article uh, because it's like people are stopping shipping and now you have these commodities mm. that are affected disproportionately. Yeah. Electronics, Christmas, still going to come for electronics. Maybe not so much from the furniture side. Yeah. And furniture, gone. think about all that furniture stuff that we talk about, you know, with home improvement, home sales being off the off the charts. So if you are a furniture shipper or furniture equipment 
you know, you you haul furniture. Yeah. You need to be on the lookout for this type of stuff. Yeah. This is this is the type of thing that's going to dramatically impact because furniture is huge, bulky. <laughs> you know, uh, Home Depot, Lowe's had record 2021s. Not that they're furniture in general, but that's the type of you know the Ashley furnitures and the home stores like that. They could have a big impact moving forward, even though they do have pretty good buying power. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a huge part. It's like you said, essentially being priced out of the market here and being just it's a foregone opportunity altogether. Not worth the while, not worth the, the the potential markup and trying to move these goods. Now you're eating into the margin, essentially. So that's exactly it. When you're looking at especially home prices or home sales overall, whether it's new or existing, I love looking at it because, of course, it's going to be indicative of freight moving with these building materials, but the downstream impacts always talk about it. New furniture and appliances. We've heard many horror stories around, hey, I ordered a table or I ordered a new couch and it's just being delayed, delayed, delayed. Now, it's, I think many of the times it's getting to the point where those delays are just saying, hey, it's not happening. We have something else that's ready for you here or here's your money back. So I'm curious at the backlog of unfilled orders, how many of them are just gonna be foregone altogether? Just say, hey, here's your money back or we have some alternatives for you if you'd like. Yeah, I'm starting to think a little bit downstream too. Uh, once the dust settles, which sounds like it's going to be a while. Yeah. Uh, what what's going to happen to this back backlog, like of stuff that didn't get fulfilled? Are we going to see? I mean, obviously the high value freight, the electronics, uh, and the apparel, which has seasonal, <laughs> is a seasonal thing, and it's also come back in full force. Um, and it's a non-durable good. Non-durable, <laughs> but it, it does move on trucks. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that that can tolerate these increases. So I think you're going to start to see some of these commodities shift because it's like, it's also high margin freight. Yeah. <laughs> that's the highest margin stuff, especially come fourth quarter. You're going to be hauling the same stuff that's going on these containers right now is going to be moving with speed <laughs> or it, with, you know, that sense of urgency that we're seeing on the ocean right now. And that's an interesting thing. <laughs> yeah. Because if you do haul some of this lower value freight, you're, you may see a decline in your volumes and that's going to further kind of uh, push this divergent experience <laughs> yeah. that we've seen over the last year. So, so the next story, uh, and, and the last one that we have for today, I thought this was quite interesting considering all the hype around LTL right now. TFI, of course, purchased UPS Freight, the LTL division of UPS, uh, a few months ago, uh, in January, uh, it feels like a short time ago, but it was, it was all the way at the beginning of the year. Uh, the, uh, uh, TFI confronts unprofitable thorns in UPS freight turnarounds. They went from a 99 OR to a 90 OR, <laughs> like that. Now, the big question is, how much did TFI actually have to do with this, considering it's only been a few months yeah. you know, of, this, of this purchase? And it's really hard to get your you know, hands wrapped around an unprofitable operation. 99 OR is profitable, however, but it's, it wasn't supposed to be. And the market conditions were in Anthony Smith. Yeah. How much of that did, did that have to do with it? And they even, they interviewed the CEO, uh, Elaine Bedard, uh, who said, yeah, they didn't have, it wasn't all us, obviously, but they did do a few things like target some unprofitable customers. They raised their rates. Easier said than, I mean, in this time, in this market, that's easy. Yeah. How many times, uh, LTL pricing guy right here. <laughs> How many times did I say, 
uh, to Mike Vincent in sales at the time, <laughs> I need this to go higher. This is not profitable. They're not giving us what we thought they were going to give us. I, you know, I evaluated it incorrectly because of, you know, garbage in, garbage out, or maybe I just made a mistake and yeah. I went back and did the evaluation and I said, uh, this is not good business. And it's like, ah, like you coming from outside the industry, you yeah. would think, oh, no brainer, right? <laughs> I think, yeah, I think it would be a pretty easy call to like, all right, who can c get cut off or <laughs> what contracts or what needs to be renegotiated or reevaluated altogether. No, Anthony. No. No, this is trucking. <laughs> Something different. <laughs> <laughs> I'm talking about trucking specifically right here. At no point during my tenure did I ever have the pricing power that carriers have today. Mm. Um, and that is, that is something that you cannot ignore in this. Uh, even though T-Force does have a strong uh, operating ratio in general, their, their Canadian sector business, 78% OR, and their market is way different in Canada than in, here in the United States. Uh, so they, they do have a good reputation and a, and a solid track record in that regard. So it does, it probably is, they are probably, you know, turning some of those screws, getting them a little bit tighter as they should. And you have to in LTL, you cannot ignore the details. So kudos to them, but also don't, don't call it a comeback just yet. No, <laughs> don't call it a comeback just yet. Um, so Anthony, what's going on in our economy over the last week? I, I know we've talked about new orders growing on Freightways now quite a bit. We just, it's Thursday. Yes. So the initial jobless, uh, claims have gone somewhere. They've gone somewhere. They've so gone that's somewhere. exactly right. We we're talking about non-defense capital goods, new orders earlier this week. And what we saw was that there was indeed an increase. So that 0.7% increase. And oh, amazing. We have the chart here. We have non-defense capital goods pulled up right here. And this chart, we can see that in the blue line, we see that it is still growing on a year over year basis. And if you've been watching us um, kind of making these calls with their orange line here, our flatbed outbound tender rejection index, you could see really what's going to be anticipated for these monthly releases and what's actually happening near real time by looking at what's going on in that orange line there, that flatbed outbound tender rejection index. And so even though we're seeing some downward movement in that orange line and seeing some downward movement in that blue line, it's not indicative of, okay, things are really loosening up here or really things are cooling off in a significant way. We are seeing that manufacturing is still very much robust on a year-over-year -year basis. And we still are seeing that really when we're looking at overall flatbed outbound tender rejections index here within Sonar, that is still very much tight uh, for these flatbed trailer types. And so overall for new orders, there was an 18.4% year-over-year increase. I mean, that's significant. We're looking at the overall industry. Now we're looking at shipments because it's, it's like you get those new orders put in, they get produced, and then they get shipped. So we're going to look at new orders, shipments, and then kind of get into unfilled orders here in a bit. But those shipments are at 13.1% year-over-year. So we are still seeing a robust amount of durable goods being shipped throughout the country. We're seeing a robust amount of new orders still coming in. And on top of that, unfilled orders are up 1.2%, which were pretty, I think, high this time last year as there are a lot of unfilled orders during the midst of the pandemic in 2020. Yeah, we were just starting to get cranking again this yeah. time last year. Like we, like we, I remember the end of, or throughout July was really where everybody's like, uh-oh. We shouldn't have shut down. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh no, there's there's all this stuff to do that we just missed out on and all those orders. So uh, being up even a percent 
compared it's, to last year. It's year's. something significant. It's something very significant. And that's so, stuff that hasn't even moved anywhere yet. Hasn't even moved anywhere. <laughs> so it's just like, even if we start to see a downward movement in new orders, there's still plenty of backlog to kind of go through and get shipped out. And so there's still a lot of momentum. So even if new orders just fell off a cliff today, there's still so much to work through, kind of alluding to what Greg Miller was talking about earlier. Uh, you know, if there was some type of shutdown mm-hmm. that would give us some time to work through all the backlog and the logjam that's building up right now, something somewhat similar with manufacturing. The good part of manufacturing right now, prices are starting to ease a bit as more and more commodities become available, raw, more raw materials become a little bit available. Still not down anywhere, you know, to where we were pre-pandemic. I believe the latest number from the ISM PMI um, price component was in the mid 80s down from the 90s, which was a high since 1979. Wow. That's the last time I think the Pittsburgh Pirates won the World Series. I might have to check with George Abernathy with that one. <laughs> not that he's a Pittsburgh Pirate fan, but not. I know he knows a lot about... Sox guy. <laughs> he knows a lot a lot of random sports facts, so I got I to gotta see what he can give me with that one. But on the initial jobs claims, we did see a downward movement there. So that's some good news there. Not a pandemic low, but a movement in the right direction. People are working again. People so working again. I want to transition into our memes. Yes. Because this is very relevant to what you just went through. <laughs> our <laughs> memeonomics. Uh, the first meme, uh, super relevant to, I think, everything we just talked about today with Greg Miller and the economy. The cat biting the cat <laughs> meme. Me saying I'll do it later. <laughs> Meowing or biting or about to, it's yelling at future me, basically saying, you know what, future me. <laughs> or I guess that is actually me on that cat. Well done, Cody. Uh, you know, saying, you know what, tomorrow, Zach, or next year, Zach, whatever it is, handle it. And then eventually future Zach is upset. And that's so, what we're seeing a lot of with, you know, if, if you are one of those people that is procrastinating and shipping in the market and the economy right now, if you're waiting on that normal peak season that, you know, that normal time of year to ship your freight across the water, uh, which is coming up September, it ain't there. Yeah. <laughs> you got to get it done right now. And they're trying to get it done right now, especially if you are wanting to have a chance at Christmas, right? Right. <laughs> yeah. And I should be suspicious whenever the production team asks if we're going to do memeonomics because I'm pretty sure they got something it. cooking. And I'm pretty sure I heard them laughing in the back. So I'm pretty sure Cody Marcus maybe has something to do with that one. Uh, the next one, I think we have uh, another pick out by you. Is this a tweet? Here? This is a tweet. This is a tweet. Uh, and, I, and, I, and I think it's relevant in terms of the fact that Los Angeles is always in the news and maritime. My biggest surprise in vis- visiting L.A. is I thought it was a city, but it's actually like 10 cities in a trench coat. <laughs> <laughs> and anybody that has been there knows that it is definitely a huge conglomeration yeah. of cities and places. And no, like nobody knows this better than anybody in freight. Mm-hmm. There is literally these huge cities yeah. based on distribution centers. You could you literally have a zip code yeah. <laughs> of, of these uh, just distribution centers in Los Angeles. And that's why we have one of the reasons why that market inside of Sonar is divided into two markets. <laughs> because it's so big and it's so disparate in terms of its uh, relationship with, you know, a lot of the freight coming out of Los Angeles on the west side of town hops on long haul going a lot further because it goes immediately from the ocean stuff and the warehouses out there but the stuff that comes out of the ontario market uh sits in a dc for a while and gets staged 
uh, and it gets reorganized. So a lot of those 20-foot units go over there, you're drayed over there to those warehouses uh, before they get repackaged and sent off on a 53-footer. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy to see how big California is. I think mm -hmm. it may have or already passed surpassed Canada in terms of population and overall economic output. So definitely within Sonar, it makes sense why we separate some of those markets because really it would be a sufficient country in and of its own, not regulation-wise, but the, just from output-wise. Yeah, it's the largest two markets. Uh, and, you know, you could add them together, theoretically, which you probably should <laughs> yeah. in, in certain circumstances. Uh, and it's the largest market conglomeration in the United States, roughly over 8%. Uh, of the total outbound freight volume of our, you know, freight economy. So, yeah. yeah, huge deal in L.A. And, of course, largest port conglomerate right there, Los Angeles, Long Beach. <laughs> right. Sitting right there, waiting to explode, get ready for it. No. <laughs> um, but they still have, you know, obviously they can't do as much as their structural limitations. Last one I've got, I just love Bob Ross. <laughs> Cody didn't classic. dare mess with Bob Ross here. <laughs> Oh, and there's another happy little pothole. He needs a, a friend. We'll give him a few orange barrels. <laughs> I did this in honor of the infrastructure bill uh, that appears to be moving through bipartisan. Yeah. Uh, you know what? It's good news for freight. It's good news for everybody that moves stuff. Uh, I think in general, there's obviously some, you can argue some of the points along the way and some of the spending. But uh, in general, this, it looks like it's going to happen. <laughs> Our infrastructure is deteriorating. It is one of the things that government absolutely has to get involved with. Um, you know, here in Chattanooga, we've just redesigned a bridge yeah. that was sitting around since it was the 75 bridge. It's been there since 1955. The truck accidentally hit it. I and remember it fell, that. And it fell down. Yeah. Gotta have it, guys. Gotta have it. <laughs> yeah, bipartisan. Doesn't matter which way you vote or whatever. Potholes suck. Potholes. <laughs> Bridges falling. Bridges falling. You don't want that. On top of other okay, cars, which that's not the best thing. So yeah. uh, before we get into our debate, I'm going to show you one. I'm going to share one fact, one little factoid that I read on the interweb. Uh, and it, it's it's not great, but it's it's a little perspective builder. Mm. So Uber facts, <laughs> if you aren't following them on Twitter, 93% of the people ever to exist on Earth are dead. Roughly 50% of them died of malaria. Oh, that's... Things could be worse. A lot of perspective there. Yeah, well, things could be There's worse. like a few layers there is that... Delta variants stink, but... And malaria. <laughs> and that we only have the majority of people ever to live on the earth are dead. Only 7% right, right. now. If I'm right. doing that math correctly. All right. Real quick, before we close out the show, thank you all for watching. We've got roughly 40 seconds here to go. Download the Freightways TV app, uh, Freightcasts, look up our podcast, all the other podcasts here. But Anthony Smith... What Olympic sport do you think you could train and compete for if you dropped everything and competed or and trained for over the next four years? All right, all right, all right. I think I could do bobsledding or rugby. I have experience in rugby. What about you? Um, skateboarding. Skateboarding. Obviously wow. easy. I could do that all day. I'm going with rugby or bobsled. Yeah. No, no I could do that. Skateboarding. Meter dash. I was just doing I was saying that <laughs> ironically. I would be broken. Wow. <laughs> oh, speaking of Olympics, make sure you drink water. Drink more water. <laughs>